Welcome to Rooster Sports. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in. I'm the Rooster. I just want to say thanks for my family, friends, my job, my ability to make the podcast. Also thankful for how strong we are as a community and as a world going through the past two years and how sports has brought us together and hopefully brings us to normal times. Let me tell you about my favorite teams and sports players. My teams are the Portland Trailblazers, the Seattle Seahawks, Seattle Mariners, soon to be the Kraken, I need to watch more games, and my college football team and college overall is Oregon State Beavers. My favorite players are Ken Griffey Jr., Kobe Bryant, Marshawn Lynch, Jason Kidd, and three of those guys were the same number, 24, which I think is cool. Let's touch on the Blazers real fast. So in the offseason, we signed Chauncey Billups as our head coach. Dane played in the Olympics. We won the gold. And coming back home, Dame had to start uh, learning how to play in Chauncey's defense. Now, I grew up watching Chauncey. I love Chauncey Billups. I played like Chauncey and Jason Kidd because his defense first, pass first on the offense, and shoot in the clutch. And that's what the Blazers are learning. How to communicate, how to play like the Detroit Pistons, and hard-nosed defense. I hope Nurk turns into Ben Wallace and just blocks everybody that comes down low and just plays that pick and roll and dunk on anybody. Norman Powell, he's just, he's incredible. He's never low nor high. He's just always looks angry, looking like he wants to brawl and just plays defense. And he's not a selfish dude. He just waits for the ball to get in his hands and he does what he needs to do. Damon CJ, they've turned it up defensively. Damon had three blocks last game. They've both had multiple steals in multiple games. They're buying in. Buying into the communication that it needs to take to win with defense. And we're on a roll. We're undefeated right now at home. We need to learn how to win on the road. But playing a new defense takes a while. And sometimes when you don't have your fans and you're in a low spot, there's nothing to get you out. Because if you know how that feels... When you're away from home and you, you're down by 8, 10 points and you've heard the same spiel from your top players, there's there's no extra momentum. There's no way to fire you up. And the fans can't. The fans can start cheering defense, getting crazy on a block or a dunk that ignites the comeback. So the Blazers are going to have to find that spark on the road so we can get on a roll and get in the top four spots and just let the defense win. Let us become winners. Now on the Seahawks side of life, we are on the downslope. A lot of dudes are on their way out and we need to rebuild. We can't just have a continuous rebuild when we got superstars like Lockett and Metcalf. 
and we need to start drafting dudes to help the offensive line and draft a running back that can complement Chris Carson. Because when he's healthy, he's the beast. When he gets banged up, we need a guy that can take those carries and be the mini beast in the future. And we also need to make a change at defense coordinator because the last few seasons we have done nothing. We are not even in the top 15. We're nowhere near where we need to be and we got the pieces. We got studs. But we continuously start blaming the players but the scheme is what makes the player. Because we all played football. We've been all been playing football since Pee Wee. And we know our abilities. But if the coach don't put us in the right spot, call the right play, and we get burnt, we get called out for it. And not the not the offensive coordinator. So we need to make a change in that. Because Dan Quinn, our old defense coordinator, is lighting it up in Dallas. And making us look at them like, hey, that's what we were. That's what took us to a Super Bowl. That's what made us great. Was the scheme. How we could use all those abilities. And make us like the 85 Bears. So. We need to do our homework. This offseason. And bring back a good defense. As in scheme wise. So these great players. Like Jamal Adams. Bobby Wagner. And any uh, any of the corners can become great. Because, man, we had some dudes on the old Seahawks teams that played corner, other than Sherman, that you were like, there's no way they could fit. There's no way they can intercept the ball. There's no way they can cover cats. But then what? They came into our system. They learned the system. And they started to learn how to play corner like we want. And they became pro bowlers or they had stellar breakout years. And they got free agent contracts to other teams. And guess what? When they went to other teams, they were nothing like they were in Seattle. So it's all about this coaching and the schemes, the defensive coordinator. So it's time to make a change. Enough of my ranting on my Seahawks. Let's get to the real topic. The narrative of the NFL bust. Now I'm tired of hearing the NFL bust word. I'm tired of hearing former players on sports networks dog on current players or former players and they forgot their human highlight real moment of not being a good football player and it's irritating it's like you sit behind a desk you got the three-piece suit on but you forgot you're sitting in the booth because you weren't that great you're sitting in the booth because your moment's done so don't step on other cats And taking their money away because you want to say crazy thoughts. Let's look at the highlights of why some dudes aren't that good. The stats. How they got to be where they were. And let's start blaming teams, ownership, coaches for why some of these guys are becoming what we say busts. Let's change the narrative to NFL teams that made the bust. Why they busted the NFL draft. Why they busted on a free agent signing. 
why they can't make up their mind if they're going to have this offensive coordinator, this defensive coordinator, and swap out guys like it's easy. Like we're putting on new clothes every day. That's what some of these coaches are doing in the NFL. So let's take some examples. Expose the stats. And make our mind up if that guy was a bust. Or was it the team that busted on him? And they lost hope. So let's take Derrick Henry for example. He came into the league. He got drafted high. He was supposed to bring the Tennessee Titans automatically to new heights. Him and Mariota because they both Heisman Trophy winners. But at the time, Tennessee didn't have their coach. They didn't have a good offensive coordinator. They didn't have a line and they had no weapons on the outside. They didn't have a good defense. So the first two years of Derrick Henry's career, he did not rush for a thousand yards. He did not score more than five touchdowns. And he got a little banged up. Well, in 2018, the narrative changed. They got a better coach. They got a better OC. They got better defense. They started spending money in the draft with high draft picks. They started spending more money on free agents. Which meant... Derrick Henry and the quarterbacks got help. The defense got help. Special teams got help. They got a better kicker. So all around the team got better. And since 2018, Derrick Henry has had over a thousand yards rushing and over 10 touchdowns in each of those years. And before he hurt his foot this year in 2021, he had a pace for another 2,000-yard season because he had 937 yards and 10 touchdowns. So he went from, oh, this dude's a bust because he can't do nothing the first two years to the the face of the franchise, the face of the NFL and running backs because we judged him too soon. We as fans, we as analysts went out and started saying, Nah, man, he sucks. He's hurt. He's broken. But now look it. He ain't hurt. He ain't broken. The Tennessee Titans did what they needed to do and built around him. And made it right. And now he's balling out. So let's take another example. One that's worse than Derrick Henry's situation because he did leave the NFL and under circumstances I know he didn't want to leave and that's Jamarcus Russell he was drafted number one overall in 2007 to the Oakland Raiders so he went to LSU from 2004 to 2006 his coaches were Nick Saban the all-time great college coach and Les Miles was in his prime winning championships Marcus Russell had a 31.9 completion percentage. He threw for 6,625 yards, 52 touchdowns, threw 21 interceptions, but still had a 147.9 passer rating. 
Now, if he would have done that in the NFL, we wouldn't be talking about this. But again, was it the team and the ownership that didn't allow him to have those LSU stats in the NFL? Now, coming out of LSU, 20-plus dudes went to the NFL. So that means he was an elite program. He had elite coaches that made him a great quarterback in college. And that's why he was drafted number one overall. Now, leading up to draft day, I remember they were showing him highlights of his college games and he was unstoppable they would show his crunch time plays where he would break the line and start scrambling and this dude was big like 240 to 260 it was a freight train that guy took off it take three or four guys to take him down and his arm strength was unbelievable they showed videos of him sitting on his knees which is a quarterback drill, so you get used to upper body strength, and he could chuck it 60 yards just from his knees. So this guy had the talent, but he got drafted number one for a reason. He had the talent, but that team was not very good either. So Oakland made a coaching change prior to this as well. They hired Lane Kiffin. Now, no dogging on Lane Kiffin. That dude can coach teams. He's got Ole Miss ranked. He's good at recruiting. He's just an overall good coach, especially offensive coordinator-wise. He's really good. But in the NFL, he ran into the old narrative, new coach, bad team, can you help us out? He tried, and the team failed overall. They went 4-12 and the first season. He got... F- Lane Kiffin got fired when he went 1-3 in 2008. So in 2007, they went 4-12, and had one pro bowler, and it was the punter. And Jamarcus only started one game. He played in four. Dante Culpepper and Sean McCowan were the quarterbacks ahead of him. Jamarcus also held out that season because he was number one and back then the contract disputes were a lot different than now. So he had a 55 completion percentage. He only threw for 373 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions. That's like a preseason game. But that was that was his stats for four games. And 2008, he actually started all 15 games. That he was in. Had a 53 completion percentage. 2,423 yards. 13 touchdowns through 8 picks. And had a 77 passer rating. So he was on the uptick. But because they changed the coaches. Still were not drafting good. Other than got lucky with the Zach Miller. Tied in. 2009 was destructive. He started nine games. He had a 48% completion rating, 1,287 yards passing, three touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. He had a 50 pass rating, which again 
isn't speaking volumes to guys they did not have. They had Zach Miller. That was it as an offensive weapon for him to throw to. Uh, Robert Gallery was the only big name offensive lineman did the Oakland Raiders had. Tom Cable had two losing seasons because when he took over for Lane Kiffin in 2008, he went 4-8. 2009, he went 5-11. and 11. And during those seasons, they only had two bro bowlers. The punter and Nandi Asamoa, the corner, made two Pro Bowl appearances in this three-year span. So we're saying... Two guys out of 22 made the Pro Bowl. Made any significance. Now, Zach Miller, he probably could have been a Pro Bowler. Levon Walker was on his downhill as a wide receiver. And this guy, I don't even know. Ronald Curry was Jamarcus Russell's other wide receiver. So we had one guy on the downhill... One dude nobody knows about. And then the Raiders went into the NFL draft and decided to take a dude that could run a 40 as a wide receiver, lightning quick, but had no good stats, was not a highlight reel kind of guy, and picked him in the first round. And I remember that draft because everybody was like, What's going on? Mel Kuyper was mad as usual. And when they were like talking about who got drafted as wide receiver to the Oakland Raiders, they just went off. And it's because they didn't need it. They, Like I said, they needed offensive linemen. They needed a running back. They needed something to help this cat out. You could draft a wide receiver in the second round. There was actually guys at wide receiver that could have been picked at that guy's spot that are still in the NFL and still balling out. And I'm not naming this player because again, Oakland could have used him as a punt returner, something on special teams and helped him grow as a guy in the NFL and made him better. And so I'm not going to dog on him. He like Jamarcus Russell and some other cast they got to the Oakland Raiders. You know, trash. It's a losing environment. Randy Moss didn't have a good statistical year there because it's a losing franchise. Jerry Rice, they had like, what, two good years there? And then it went downhill from there. So you got two uh, dudes that are Hall of Famers, try to go there, help a team out, nothing happens. So then we're dogging on cast to get drafted there, high, and then we call them bus. So I just want to take some time and talk about who was coaching, who was the offensive coordinator, and let's start blaming the team for Jamarcus's downhill spiral. Because in college, he had elite coaching. He had elite college talent. And more than half of those dudes went to the NFL. 
And like I said, Robert Gallery is the only offensive lineman you can remember from that time era in Oakland. You can't say anybody else's name if I asked you who, who played on the Oakland Raiders with Jamarcus Russell. You say, Omni Nelson Wall. I say, what about the line? And you say, Robert Gallery. That's it. So, the offensive coordinator, Gary Knapp, was the offensive coordinator in Oakland all but one season for Jamarcus Russell. And that was 2009. And Jamarcus didn't even play in that many games that year. And Gary Knapp, though, went to Seattle. And I believe Jim Mora was the head coach. And then went 5-11. and 11. Both dudes got canned. So, Gary Knapp, I had to look up because I, it's a name I haven't heard before. He's not one of those guys where it just pops in your mind and be like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. So I looked him up. I was like, there's got to be a reason why I can't remember his name or heard about him. So Gary Knapp has probably the worst track record in the NFL as offense coordinator. Every year he's been offensive coordinator. No team has been in the top 20 in running the ball and passing the ball or scoring. So, I'm going to give you what happened while Gary Knapp was gone. Hugh Jackson was the offensive coordinator in 2010. Had help for the Oakland Raiders. And they went 8-8. Eight and eight. Derek McFadden and Carlson Palmer were on the team. So there you go. You you have a running back that actually was a good running back in the NFL. He had the talent and probably was the best running back they had for a long time. And that's what Jamarcus needed because he had Michael Bush in the backfield. And he was a decent running back. But if you would have had McFadden and some other cats on the team... It would have helped out a lot, because then you can you can do all the all the play action passes, the RPOs, everything. When you got a running back that scares the defense and they got a lockdown, you can go and throw some deep passes, get some first downs, and make the running back makes the quarterback look good when he can start doing that stuff. So back again, 2010, 2011. Gary Knapp's not the offensive coordinator, and they're 8-8. Eight eight. Gary Knapp comes back in 2012, and the Raiders go back to 4-12. So, 2007, 4-12. 2008, 5-11. 2012, 4-12. The pattern is, the offensive coordinator, no matter who he's got, can't get a winning record. They just can't do it. And Raiders as a franchise. Until now. Has not drafted well. 
has not drafted offense and defense well. And you can't ask a guy to be number one and to be the franchise if you're not going to support him. If you're not going to bring in talent to bolster him. Bring in coaches that can nurture him. Because there was reports coming out that Jamarcus Russell was doing this and that in his personal life. Because he had nobody immature around him. There was no veteran in the locker room taking him out to dinner and saying, Hey, you know, let's do this. Let's hang out. There was no team atmosphere where it was winning. Where they were all looking at each other with smiles on their face. Going to the weight room. Trying to challenge each other and the practice field trying to each other challenge each other to become a champion because they didn't know what that was and that's what you hear in the NFL all the time dudes that are on losing teams that go to the Patriots the Seahawks uh, the Cowboys and uh, now the Arizona Cardinals the 49ers you know and the Steelers places where championships have been won And the culture is still there. Guys turn into different dudes. They might not have had good years in these other places. But now they're balling out. They change teams. They feel the atmosphere. They're winning. But you can't call Jamarcus Russell a bust. For the simple fact. They did not get him help. There was no help on the offensive line. In the 2008-2009 season, he got sacked over 31 times. When your quarterback starts getting sacked over 20 times, how are you going to get the football 10 yards down the field? How are you going to set up a play-action pass to bomb the field for a touchdown? This is why I'm saying we need to stop calling dudes busts. Now, if they get injured or they make life decisions... That make them a bust. That's a bust. And even with the injury. How you can call them a bust. Life happens. They could have got the injury. In uh, college. And never got to play in the NFL. So really the only way we can start calling people bust. Is if they were on the hype train. And they had the statistics. To become a future Hall of Famer because of what they did in college and they came to the NFL took their money blew it all and did stupid things off the field that made them not productive made them just an average dude we could start calling them a bus but when you get drafted to a bad team A bag of organization where they don't spend the money right. They don't draft right. They don't keep players they can play. And they don't bring in guys that can coach. And help the maturity level. Then you're going to have a losing organization. And analysts are going to start calling people bust. Because they're like, well, he's not as good as he was. We never had a shot. So, I'm going to bring up some more players, more stats in the next podcast, and see 
Was it the team or was it the player? Now, I'm not going to bring up Ryan Leaf because he's even come out and said on his own that his attitude, his lifestyle is the reason why he didn't make it in the NFL. We don't need to know his stats or where he went to play football. It's really... He knows and has told people he put himself in a bad position because he went to he went and played for good good teams and it was just personal issues that got to him you know and I don't I don't consider that a bust either because it's just life what if what if you know the all-time greats Something triggered them in in life and they couldn't focus. Just like us humans doing regular jobs get triggered by life and we have our downtime where we're not great, where we're not doing the right things and we're in a position where we can't make it. Same thing goes with pro athletes. We can't start calling people certain things we can't be calling them a bust or calling them out because what we do, what have we done? We're no better than anybody else. So let's really examine ourselves and how we call people NFL busts and really take account for the mistakes the organization and team has made. Anyways, Have a Thanksgiving that's good. Hopefully some backyard football is being played. And stay safe. And I'll give my take on the next podcast. Happy Thanksgiving.